Hi, I'm Justin Hopkins. And I'm Richard Reinhardt. And we want to thank you for taking the time to join us for this time of study as we look to see what the Spirit has to say about Himself in the Scriptures. To the Spirit according to the Word, as we are this week wrapping up our study of what the Spirit says about Himself in the Old Testament. And we've been looking these last couple weeks at the Holy Spirit giving people abilities, abilities to serve God, abilities to serve others, uh, abilities to lead. And so this week we're going to consider something really kind of interesting. The Holy Spirit gave abilities to men who were not always righteous. And we touched on that a little bit last week, talking about Saul, didn't we? And so a lot of our text this week is going to come from the book of Judges. So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open that up to the book of Judges. We're going to pick up in chapter 6. And it's not really a big shocker that we're spending a lot of time here when we talk about men who are not always righteous, right? Because... The book of Judges, that was that time when every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel, right? The book opens and closes with that sentiment. Of course, by the way, who was Israel's king supposed to be? Well, God was. <laughs> yeah, but there was no king in Israel. How'd that happen? Hmm. They weren't looking to the right place for their leadership. Yeah, and so it was during that time, and of course we have this, this cycle of sin, servitude, supplication, and salvation. It alliterates nicely so it preaches, uh, you know, but, but the people just going, doing what was right in their own sight, falling into sin and wickedness, and it would finally get bad enough that God sent them into servitude, delivered them up to one of the Canaanite nations that he had left there. And when things finally got bad enough, they made their supplication unto God and prayed for deliverance and straightened up their behavior a little bit and that God would send salvation in the form of a judge. You know, an interesting thought, one of the Canaanite nations that he had left there, didn't he instruct the children this of Israel to destroy? <laughs> that's, that, that, that's an excellent point. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, the, the, the Amalekites, right? I mean, they were told to destroy them, but they didn't. And, and really, I mean, that was all of those nations, really. And so that comes back and crops back up as being a thorn in their side later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the consequences of their failure to obey God. I um, wonder if sometimes our failure to obey God brings about consequences in our life in the same way. Hmm. Interesting thought. And I'm also glad that we're better than the people of Israel and that even though they did what was right in their own eyes, and that they only turned to God when things got really bad and then asked for help, we don't do that at all today. Never. <laughs> uh, you know, perhaps some lessons for us there in this darkest of times in Israel's history. But as we turn to Judges chapter 6, here we have Gideon. 
And the Midianites uh, have been afflicting Israel for seven years. And Gideon's really an interesting guy. Because when God calls Gideon to be a judge, he is threshing wheat by a wine press. Why would you thresh wheat at a wine press and not a threshing floor, Richard? Good question. I don't know much about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was hiding. <laughs> he didn't want the Midianites to find his wheat. He was a chicken. And so then, you know, God comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, who? Me? Not me. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm just over here hiding with my meat. Uh, wheat, not meat. Well, maybe meat. Meat would be nice, but he had wheat. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and so you see God calling Gideon. Verse 33 says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. And Gideon said unto God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, and, and then he goes on, and, and, and he tests God with, with the, the fleece a couple of different times. You know, it's, it's interesting, right? So God says, you, you mighty man of valor, you're going to save Israel. And Gideon's like, mm, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm over here hiding, and I'd like to stay that way. God's like, nope, you're the guy. And so Gideon says, okay. And verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's capital S, capital L-O-R-D in the King James, Spirit of the Lord. Name of the New King James. Yeah, so here you have the Holy Spirit coming upon Gideon, and he's gathering up some courage. I mean, he's blowing a trumpet, and he's gathering an army together. He's sending messengers throughout all the land saying, hey, uh, let's go fight the Amalekites and uh, the Midianites. You know, So here's not just one nation, but two, and we're going to whoop them. Come on, let's go. And at the same time, though, he's like, I'm just going to double check and, and triple check. God, do, do you really want me to do this before we go down this path too far? And, and then, of course, chapter 7, uh, you have Gideon and his 300 uh, destroy an army of about a quarter million uh, Midianites. And it's interesting, by the way, that weapons of Gideon's, armor, uh, of Gideon's army, they have a trumpet, a clay jug, and a torch. That's it. And, you know, God destroys the army, and hundreds of thousands of them in the initial confusion uh, that's created when, when Gideon and his, his army uh, breaks their pitchers and blows their trumpets and shouts. And, and, and then as the chapter goes on, Gideon and his army, they're chasing the Midianites with these swords. Where do they get those swords? Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, a whole bunch of dead Midianites laying around who weren't using them anymore. <laughs> they went to battle without swords, and God provided swords for them. And then, of course, you come to chapter 8, and Gideon makes effectively an idol and sets himself up and tries to create a dynasty 
for himself. I mean, he went from being a chicken who was hiding his wheat to leading 300 men with no weapons against a well-trained professional army of a quarter million soldiers. Gideon needed to remember what happened in Judges 6 and verse 34 and how he was able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems as if he forgot by the time we get to chapter 8. Yeah, and, and so here you see, right, the Holy Spirit uh, using Gideon and giving him the, the leadership and the confidence and the ability to do this thing. Uh, even though he wasn't the obvious choice at the beginning, and his end really wasn't that that wonderful. But God, you know, the Holy Spirit was able to give him those abilities and use him anyway. All right, so let's turn to Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 29, but here's Jephthah. Jephthah's a rather controversial figure, right? Uh, Jephthah's the one, by the way, uh, you have Ammonites coming against Israel saying, hey, you know this land that you took away from us a long time ago when you conquered Canaan? We kind of want it back. And, you know, God raises up Jephthah as a judge. And you know, wasn't this another group of people that Israel was supposed to destroy? <laughs> it was, yeah. You know, and, you know, so, so Jephthah kind of uh, basically says, no, <laughs> we're not. We're not giving it back. Uh, you've had plenty of time. It's ours now. And by the way, you know, uh, we were going to leave you alone, but you attacked us. So all's fair in love and war. Sorry, not sorry. And and so then Jephthah, you know, as as he's feeling all valiant, and very interesting. Uh, beginning in verse 29, the Spirit of the Lord, capital S, capital L-O-R-D, came upon Jephthah. Is that what you have there? Yes. Yeah, and so he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over the children of Ammon. So the Spirit of the Lord is, is there behind Jephthah, uh, empowering him and, and strengthening him for the battle of this to come. Verse 30, and Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if you shall without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then it shall be that whatsoever comes forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And at this point, God might be face-palming uh, <laughs> because God knows everything. Jephthah's going to find out when he comes home from battle, what's the first thing that comes out of his house? Well, his daughter. Yeah, so about that promise. You so, know. so that goes back, <laughs> just because if someone has the Spirit of the Lord doesn't mean that they can't make foolish decisions. We've seen that already, and we see that again here with Jephthah, with his vow in verse 31. Yeah, and, and, and so here you have verse 29, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah, and and... And he makes this vow, okay, God, you know, if if, if if we do this, if we come out successful, this is what I'm going to do. And it's interesting that that mentality there, we see that sometimes today, people trying to bargain with God. Well, and even this thought that if we're successful, 
just to have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord at this point, he should have known that they were going to be successful. It wasn't an if statement. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's the promise. We're going to go to battle and we're going to win because God. And Jephthah's still not totally on board, kind of like Gideon. <laughs> you know, but, but, but Gideon got, you know, a sheepskin involved. Jephthah got his daughter involved. A totally different thing here. But he didn't know that. Uh, and, and so... Well, you, you know, stop and think about this. What else was going to come out of his house when he got home? His dog? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe he had like a pet cow that he kept in, in his house. I don't know. I mean, you can't sacrifice a, god, a, a, a dog. I mean, that's an unclean animal. That's not, that doesn't work. I mean, there's, there's so many problems with this, this promise. <laughs> but, but anyway, and so here you see Jephthah, you know, he's made this promise, and God's already knowing that's not a good idea, Jephthah. But still, in the verses that follow, Jephthah wins. The Holy Spirit gives Jephthah that ability and through him brings about deliverance to his people even though Jephthah has made this rash vow. And should we deal with this whole sacrifice thing, the burnt offering, and what happens? You want to be here for a long time? <laughs> sure, why not? You know, so, right, there's, there, there's two theories here, right? He said, whatever comes out first is going to be a burnt offering. And then here comes his daughter, and he's like, hi, daughter. Glad to see you. Guess what? Um, so, one theory is that Jephthah offered his daughter as a burnt offering to God. What are your thoughts on that? You know... Let's just stick with what the theories are. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what? You, you know, the, some individuals want to se separate the, you know, shall surely be the Lord's, and then instead of and, say, or, I will offer it up as a burnt offering, then depending on what came out would be one or the other, you know, depending on, you know, being his daughter, you know, there are some that would like to hang on to shall surely be the Lord's, um, and then she would just have a life of service to God. Uh, and they turn that and into an or. I don't know enough Hebrew to know if, if that could be done or not. You know, I, I don't know that I've heard that, that theory. Uh, that's, that, that, that's a plausible theory uh, without looking at Hebrew conjunctions, which I'm not going to uh, pretend to know enough to venture there either. Uh, but, but plausible, right? I mean, but... Offering her as a burnt offering, uh, no doubt that creates a few issues. I mean, that's that that that's murder. That's that's human sacrifice. God has never condoned that. Why would He condone that here? And and how can you do something that would be pleasing to God that would cause you to disobey one of His other commands? Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly right. So I want to consider. Um, Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 4. Leviticus chapter 5 and, and, and verse 4 and, and really following. Of course, here these opening chapters of the book of Leviticus is all about sacrifices. Uh, you know, you've got 
you know, the, the, the burnt sacrifice. Uh, you have the, the meat offering in chapter 2. Uh, you have the, the peace offering in chapter 3. Uh, in chapter 4, you have the, the sin offering. And chapter 5, verse 4 says, Or, if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, Whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath, if it be hid from him, when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty in one of these. Now think about this. In what instance would you make a vow to do something that you don't know what that's going to be? And make a vow to do something that's, that's evil? Well, hello, Jephthah. <laughs> I mean, right, this is, this is a, a rash vow, basically. You know, uh, just, you know, the first thing that comes out of my door, whatever that is, I'll, that'll be a burnt offering. Well, that is a vow to do evil and a vow probably, he didn't think his daughter was going to be the first thing to come out the door, uh, but she was. That's exactly the situation here. Verse 5, it shall be when he shall be guilty of one of these things, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, and he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb, or a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. So basically, if you make a rash vow, and then you realize, oh, that's what I promised? I can't do that. That's a sin. Here's the offering by which you deal with that. But did Jephthah fall back on that? Because you see how this chapter in Judges 11 follows. Right. And, and, and so here's, here's a theory that I'm going to set out there. And, and, and this is how I believe this went down. You have the sacrifice of the rash vow. And so, so verse 35, Jephthah's like, Oh, no, my daughter, you came out. Um, you know, I've opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said, If you've opened your mouth, do according to what, excuse me, according to what proceeded out of your mouth. And so, so here she asks this one thing, verse 37. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And now, call me crazy here, but here she's a young woman. She's got her whole life ahead of her. And Jephthah's like, so by the way, I made this promise. Here's the thing. And she's like, well, I want to bewail my virginity. I'm going to bewail the fact that I've never been physically with a man. That's going to be the thing? I mean, what about like all the years that you're not going to live? The, 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 the things you're not going to do? What about that? Why is she picking that to bewail if she's fixing to be killed? What if, perhaps... Jephthah then offers the sacrifice of the rash vow and dedicates his daughter as a Nazarite to be dedicated to the Lord, therefore not married, perpetually a virgin, and she's bewailing the loss of that opportunity. And so verse 39, it came to pass at the end of two months, she returned unto her father who did with her according to his vow which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel, the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. 
So uh, again, you know, the, the, the book, it doesn't say that Jephthah did according to what he said and she died. It says that he did according to what he said and she was never with a man. You know, if, if murder is the end of this, that's kind of a funny way to phrase that in, in, in my thinking. And so, I think this is exactly the situation that God foresaw something like this when he said, okay, we need a sacrifice for Rashval. Here's what you do when you say something stupid. <laughs> here's, here's the sacrifice for the Rashval. Do that. And so, he... he perhaps made that sacrifice and then dedicated his daughter as a Nazarite in the service to God. And because of that, she could never get married because she was dedicated only to God, not to a husband. And so that's why she bewailed her virginity. And, and so every year the daughters of Israel would honor that sacrifice that she made and their salvation from the Ammonites. What do you think about that? You know, which topic is more controversial, Jephthah's daughter or the Holy Spirit? <laughs> well, that's a toss-up. I'll get back to you on that one. But yeah, so here you have uh, the Holy Spirit using this guy to do God's work. He can use anybody. So turn the page, chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. And this is a nice short context. Uh, goes all the way really to the end of chapter 14. So you have, of course, in chapter 13, uh, Samson's parents who were told, guess what, you're going to have a baby, and this baby is going to be mine, and he's going to do awesome things. And uh, so verse 24, the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Uh, so here again, uh, verse 25, capital S, capital L-O-R-D, the Spirit of the Lord began to move him. Uh, now, Samson, uh, Brother Carl Garner, uh, who is gone on to his reward, uh, I'll always remember him as he was teaching us through the book of Judges. He said that Samson had the spirituality of a chair. <laughs> I mean, he really wasn't a great guy. I mean, from the time of his birth, he lived under this Nazarite vow. He wasn't allowed to cut his hair. He wasn't allowed to come near a dead body. And he wasn't allowed to drink wine. He did all of those things, right? I mean, he harvested honey from a dead lion's carcass. Of course, he lied to Delilah and came up with all this nonsense. Uh, also, by the way, he was going after a Philistine woman. And his parents were like, why are you doing this? But that's what he did. And he, she cut his hair. And, you know, he got drunk at this wedding feast and came up with a foolish riddle. Uh, you know, basically did nothing that he had promised to do. But yet, Verse 25, it says that there were times when the Spirit of the Lord began to move him. And so then you go down, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or mother what he had done, right? So he kills this lion. The Spirit of the Lord gives him the ability to kill a lion with his bare hands. And... 
you know, you, you keep going in that context. Verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him when he went down to Ashkelon, and he slew 30 men and took the spoil and gave the change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. So by the way, uh, the Holy Spirit's using Samson who got drunk and made a bet. <laughs> and he's paying his bet, but in the process, the Holy Spirit's using this guy to deliver Israel from the Philistines. I mean, when you stop and think about that, I mean, wow. Um, he's not even just sometimes not a great guy. He's most of the time not a great guy. But still, the Holy Spirit's giving him abilities and through him bringing salvation to God's people. I, the, the only thing I can think about is what would have happened if, if Samson had been righteous, what God would have done with him. So you, you move down to chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. He, uh, when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. Uh, you know, again, incredible things that, you know, the deliverance, the salvation that God brought about through Samson. And it is worthy to note that at the end of chapter 16, as Samson has hit his ultimate low. His eyes has been put out, his hair has been cut, and he has been taken prisoner and made sport of and humiliated in the temple of the Philistines' pagan gods. And there he is in the midst of it. Finally, he gets it. And his last prayer is, let me die with the Philistines. And... He destroys basically everybody who's anybody in the Philistine nation and effectively um, frees Israel from their oppression, also killing himself in the process. But there you have the Holy Spirit giving him abilities uh, to do God's work in spite of his own flaws. I don't know about you, brother, but one of the things that I see there is a little bit of hope for us. <laughs> that, you know, we don't always have it all together. We're not always perfect. But still, God can use us if we just will let Him. That's really a comforting thought. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one more thought on on this idea of the Holy Spirit giving ability to men who weren't always righteous. First Samuel chapter eleven, beginning in verse five. First Samuel chapter eleven, beginning in verse five, and here we are back with King Saul. <laughs> uh, would you mind there reading verses five through seven? Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces 
and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Yeah, so here's what's interesting, right? Saul has been newly minted as king of Israel, this great ceremony and all of this, and, and he's anointed. And his first act as king is to go home and plow. <laughs> and that's where he is when he learns that the Ammonites have made an incursion into his borders and have besieged this city. And, of course, the people said, tell you what, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and surrender and you can do whatever you want. But first, can we ask for help? And for whatever strange reason, the Ammonites were cool with that. <laughs> so that's what they did. They asked for help. And so the messengers came straight to the new king. That's kind of his job, right? And verse 6, the capital S, Spirit of God, came upon Saul. Is it capitalized there in yours? It is. Yeah, so here again, the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul and uh, inspires him. And it's interesting, you know, what he does. He takes his oxen that he's plowing with and cuts them into pieces and gives a piece to each messenger and sends them out into all the Israelites and says, okay, uh, you're going to come and you're going to help us fight this battle or your cows are going to be cut up like this. And the fear of who came upon the people? Fear of the Lord. Yeah, the fear of the Lord came upon the people. And so you have the Spirit of God come upon Saul. Here's the message that Saul sends out, and the people feared God. And because of that, they responded, and a victory was won. And so here you see, you know, Saul, uh, again, not the greatest king Israel ever had, but the first king they had, he was the best one they'd had so far. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the Holy Spirit is giving him that ability to, to lead uh, in, in spite of his, his shortcomings. Any other thoughts there? Okay. No, I think I'm with you. <laughs> All right. So moving on, and, and this is the last thing that we're going to see in the Old Testament before we move on to the New Testament. And we're going to look at two passages. Here we see, and I think this is particularly interesting, we see the Holy Spirit blamed for things that he didn't do. And that's huge. When you think about the Holy Spirit being blamed for something that he didn't do, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. 22 and you know so many times uh you know people talk about well the holy spirit did this the holy spirit did that the spirit laid this on my heart or you know the spirit is, has has moved us to do this and you know we, we and and so many different things different religious groups different ideas you know some of this stuff is just selfishly motivated and and, and the holy spirit is given the credit or the blame for all of it uh, you know, I mean, you have, you know, the, the, the Pentecostals say, you know, you can know that our faith is real uh, because we have the Holy Spirit. 
And the Mormons will say, you can know that our faith is real because the Holy Spirit will help you to, to, to feel it in your heart. Well, who's right? They can't both be right because the Pentecostals will say that the Mormons are a cult and the Mormons will say that the Pentecostals are nuts. But they both say that the Holy Spirit helps them to know that they're right. And I think that that's one of the things that really is the heart of the issue with this study. And so here, I find it particularly interesting then when we turn to the Old Testament and see people mistakenly saying things about the Holy Spirit. First Kings chapter 22, and I'm going to pick up in verse 23. And so here the context, you've got Jehoshaphat, a good king of Judah, uh, who's best friends with King Ahab, a really bad guy, married to Jezebel. And they're deciding whether or not they're going to go to war. And uh, so all of these, and, and Jehoshaphat's, you know, let's ask some prophets. And Ahab, sure, we'll ask all of my prophets. And all of Ahab's prophets come in, and they say, oh, Ahab, go out to battle. It's going to be great. You're going to do amazing things. Ahab, you're awesome. Go, Ahab. And Jehoshaphat, so he kind of has a bad feeling. He's like, I don't know. Are, are there any other prophets? And Ahab's like, yeah. There's, there's this one prophet. He's named Micaiah, but I hate him because he never says anything good. Jehoshaphat, well, go ahead and bring him. <laughs> and uh, so Micaiah comes out, and uh, he says, yep, Ahab, go ahead. Go out to battle. You'll win. Bye. And Ahab's like, come on now. I told you to tell me the truth. <laughs> And uh, so here's what Micaiah says. Uh, verse 22, the Lord said unto him, uh, unto this, this spirit, uh, how are you going to trick Ahab, right, to, to go out to battle, uh, context, verses 18 through 21. And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you shall persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil concerning you. Uh, now, we'll unpack all that here in a minute, but notice verse 24. But Zedekiah, the son of Cananiah, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak to you? Of course, Zedekiah, he was the one, he had made these horns of brass, and he had been like, Yeah, Ahab, you're going to... You're going to push them with just like I'm pushing with these horns of brass. You're going to get them. And so now Zedekiah, this false prophet, comes up and he smacks Micaiah, the true prophet, and says, the Spirit of the Lord, he was with me. You know, did, did the Spirit of the Lord leave me and go to you, Micaiah? And by the way, the King James here, this is capital S, capital L-O-R-D, the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, verse 24, that's the... the the Holy Spirit. Is that what you have there in the King, uh, New King James? You know, it's interesting. I've got a lowercase s on spirit, but then, of course, Lord is all capital. Huh. Interesting. So here's, here's an occasion where the King James translator said this is the Spirit of the Lord, and the New King James translators did not. Kind of interesting. But here's Zedekiah is accrediting the Holy Spirit with his false prophecies. Hmm. How many people today claim to be prophets and claim that the Holy Spirit is giving them those prophecies? Yeah, and of course here in this account, we can go on and we can read that it's what Micaiah said is what came to pass. What Zedekiah said 
was not true. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so here again you have, um, you know, basically Ahab wanted to go to battle. The Lord wanted Ahab to fall in battle because he was bad news for Israel. Israel really needed a different king. And that's how that was going to get done. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's what it is, right? And uh, so here you have this, this spirit who says, here's what I want to do. God did not ordain that spirit, but he allowed that spirit. Uh, and, of course, all of those false prophets, by the way, I'm pretty sure that spirit didn't have to do a lot of convincing to convince all of Ahab's false prophets to prophesy falsely and tell Ahab what he wanted to hear. That's kind of how they made their living, right? So, uh, again, this isn't, you know, God uh, pulling the strings and, and commissioning and causing uh, false prophecy. This is him just allowing it to happen. But again, he sends a true prophet as well. <laughs> well, and what's interesting that even King Ahab recognized that Micaiah would speak the truth. Yeah. <laughs> earlier in the chapter, verse 8. Yeah, but but so the, the, the big thing that I wanted to pick up here, though, is Zedekiah. The fact that Zedekiah uh, accredited his prophecies to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the Holy Spirit... Clearly didn't do that. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in Micaiah, yes, but Zedekiah, no. Uh, so here he's blamed for Zedekiah's false false prophecies. Okay, one more text. Uh, Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. And again, as you look in the book of Job, one thing that's important to keep in mind is who is speaking, right? Because... Job's three friends all said stuff that wasn't true. Job did speak what was true about God. Uh, so Job chapter 4, verse 1, you have Eliphaz the Temite, uh, the Temanite starts speaking. So everything that Eliphaz says about God is not true. Okay, that's important to establish. That being said, uh, beginning in verse 12, uh, now the thing was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a little thereof, in thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, and the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before my eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from the morning to the evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Does not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. So here's something interesting. Eliphaz, in telling Job how wrong he is, and he's not wrong, uh, Eliphaz, says, well, I had this dream, this vision in the night, and it was from the Spirit. Verse 15, uh, the word Spirit here is lowercase in the King James. What about the New King James? Lowercase. Lowercase as well. But, but here, you know, Eliphaz, if you look at what the Spirit is saying, the Spirit is speaking for God. Basically, Eliphaz is saying, the Holy Spirit gave me a dream. 
Uh, and this dream said, you're wrong, Job. <laughs> and, of course, Eliphaz was wrong. So here you have Eliphaz telling the Holy Spirit gave him a dream, and it was just flat out wrong. So, Well, then what's interesting here is that not everything that Eliphaz says here was necessarily incorrect, but his application and, and his conclusion might have been off base. But like in verse 17, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Well, we're not more righteous than God. God is all <laughs> righteous. But then as he goes on uh, to say that, Job, you're wrong, no, that, that's not a message you got from God. Yeah, right. And, 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 and that's the thing often about false teachers is they teach a lot of things that are true, but just some things that are wrong. Uh, and it makes it more palatable. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I mean, the number one ingredient in rat poison is oatmeal. You know, oh, you know, rat poison is like 99% oatmeal. It's healthy and nutritious. It's just that little 1% that, that gets you. Uh, it's, it's the same thing with, with false teachers and false prophets. And so here you have Eliphaz saying, the Holy Spirit gave me a dream, and this is the dream, and it was just wrong. Uh, and... I think that's huge. <laughs> you know, when we talk about people saying that they've got dreams from the Holy Spirit, this is nothing new, folks. Uh, Eliphaz did it uh, during the time of the patriarchs. And so that kind of wraps up our study of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And I know we're running a little bit longer this episode, but I did want to stop and say one more time, we are not the authorities on this. Uh, we are studying and we're kind of putting this out there, hoping for some feedback. Because, guys, if we're wrong about something, we want to know about it. Uh, now, if, if you want to be mean and, and rude and um, tell us, you know, bad things that we don't want to hear and, and, and be unkind, I don't have time for that. Uh, but we do want to engage in a friendly an honest conversation looking for truth. Uh, and we would welcome correction and, and instruction and, and, and things that we could consider on, on these topics in a friendly and, and, and Christ-like manner. And, and, and again, I mean, that's really what we try are trying to do here is to keep the tone in that way. Um, you know, to, to be friendly, to be open and honest and, and seeking the truth. And our, our hope and our prayer is that, that you will do the same and that we can build one another up and that together, as we seek to understand the truth about God and about the Spirit as He has revealed it, uh, that we can grow to understand Him better and be more like Him. All right, so, uh, yeah, if you have any comments, if you have any questions, uh, let us know. Uh, get in touch. You know, if you're listening on, on one of our uh, podcast platforms on, you know, Apple or, or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your pods, uh, there's contact information down there in the comments, uh, in the uh, show notes. Uh, get in touch. Uh, if you're listening on the Gospel Radio Network or, um, you know, one, one of the other uh, platforms like that, uh, again, there's contact information there. And please get in touch. Let us know. And we would love to address those things. All right. Uh, God bless you as you continue to study for him. Uh, until next time.